Hello, friends. As I sit down to record this episode today, it is the very beginning of a brand new astrological season, Sagittarius season. And the symbol for Sagittarius is the archer. It's a fire sign, really feels just like a breath of fresh air and a feeling of lightness after the Scorpio season and the eclipse. So the qualities of Sagittarius season are just kind of feeling this new burst of energy after maybe feeling drained during Scorpio season. And it's just got a great vibe of like freedom loving, adventurous, but it's also a very philosophical and open-minded sign. So on that note, I'm channeling in that Sagittarius energy today to really just show up as myself unapologetically as I record this episode. These first couple episodes are very vulnerable for me to share, but I am reminded that I committed to do this because this is my story. This is my truth. So this will be my last solo episode for a while before I have some incredible guests coming on. And in the spirit of Sagittarius, let's just dive right in with curiosity and open hearts. Thank you for being here. Welcome back, guys. This is A Higher Way with Tay, and I am Taylor Taylor. And today we are picking up where we left off on the last episode. As I was sharing with you guys how I was preparing to leave for Costa Rica in 2020 to go on my first ayahuasca retreat. And as I mentioned before, the facility that I chose, Rhythmia in Costa Rica, had to close during early COVID which delayed my original reservation by almost an entire year. So when they finally reopened for like a soft opening in December, 2020, I think I got an email like six weeks ahead um, saying, Hey, we're reopening. You can come now. So I was super stoked and I was just like, finally the time's come. I get to go. Um, And again, I, I chose Rhythmia in Costa Rica because it was medically licensed. Ayahuasca is legal there. But probably more than that, I chose that facility because of Taita Juanito. And at the time, Taita Juanito would come to Rhythmia like two or three times a year, I think, from where he lives in Colombia, South America. Taita is a native of an indigenous region of the Amazon called Putumayo. He is a healer. Um, He's a botanist. He's an indigenous medicine man. And yes, he's a quote shaman, but even that word just doesn't do justice to how special and gifted he is. He comes from an ancestral lineage of healers that goes back like thousands of years. And he was chosen as a very young child to hold the title of Taita, which means guide or teacher in his native language. So in doing my research about where to go to do this medicine, once I felt the call, I started reading about Taita and I just knew instantly I wanted to go with him. And I felt like Rhythmia was a very safe choice, but it was also very reputable. I mean, they have like a board of directors with very reputable people on it. Like um, Martin Luther King III is on their board of directors, Kelly Slater, uh, Michael Beckwith, who I love, Cesar Milan is on there. So again, it all felt very legit, but for me, mostly it was about Taita. And I was pretty open with my friends and family at the time about my plans for this trip. And I think for the most part that I was given a lot of support and encouragement to go, even if some people didn't like very understand it, they were still supportive, like just good for you, I guess, (laughs) you know, do what you need to do. I don't know. But there was certainly a handful of people who told me like, that's crazy. 
still tell me that to this day, but I really didn't care. And to some people, I just said, oh, hey, I'm going on a yoga retreat in Costa Rica. And honestly, nobody really even questioned that. So I remember it was like a couple days before I flew out. I was talking to my mom and I just said, like, I can't really explain this, but I feel like in a way I already have a memory of this experience. Like there is something in my soul that remembers. And Rhythmia had given me very detailed instructions over email about the diet or the dieta, as they call it, that you're asked to follow um, as I prepared to fly out. So basically the dieta consists of abstaining from red meat and pork, processed foods, alcohol. Um, there's like a long list of medications that are severely contraindicated. So you have to have like a preliminary medical screening um, to ensure you can safely participate even before you go. But the purpose of the dieta is really to prepare the body and the mind and the spirit to be as clean and as strong as possible to be in ceremony, because you really do need that physical strength and that emotional strength to do the work. So a few days before I flew out, I had dreams, like two nights in a row, back to back. I dreamed of macaws, like these beautiful tropical colored macaws. And they were flying through the sky. And I had never seen birds like this in my life. And I found out later that the macaws, they're native birds to Putumayo, Colombia, Taita's home in the jungle. And to this day, before I go sit with the medicine ever, almost every time the macaws come to me in my dreams. And I feel like it's just such a beautiful sign from spirit and from the medicine and from the jungle. It meant a lot to me and it still does. The macaws are a symbol of something really special. I landed in beautiful Guanacaste, Costa Rica on December 3rd, 2020. And I was picked up at the airport in a shuttle van that took me about 90 minutes towards the coast where the Rhythmia facility is. So on the way, the driver like gave me a bunch of paperwork to fill out and in there was a paper that they told me to write down like what intentions I had for the medicine and any concerns I had or what specific healing I was asking for. And they said that I would have a meeting or a consulta with Taitawanito briefly before the ceremonies began to kind of go over all this stuff. And they were asking for maybe like one paragraph, like just a quick summary of this on the paper. And I literally filled out the entire front and the back of that page. So I arrived at Rhythmia to the Rhythmia campus, got checked in. I had to go have a physical. I met with the doctor and went over like my medical history. And then I got to check into my room and meet my roommate. And the way that Rhythmia is structured is it's a seven night stay, but four of the nights you spend consecutive nights in ceremony. So I think I, or I checked in on a Saturday and we were preparing for our ceremonies to be Monday through Thursday of the following week. And the whole campus there is just paradise. Like it's paradise and the grounds are spectacular, but truly the staff is just on another level. Like, Everywhere you go, they greet you by your first name. And the whole vibe is just this place is catered to your healing. And they're creating this place where you can just immerse yourself in the process. So nobody's like on their phones and they don't have TVs in your rooms. It's like people come there to do this work and they just have created this incredible campus 
to make you feel like you can leave home at home and work at work and just immerse yourself there. So every day they have classes like yoga and we would have meditation classes, but most of the time we spent in the classroom where we would learn, we'd have classes where we'd learn about like what to expect when you go to ceremony. And we would talk about like the different processes that people may have or the different ways that people may experience healing. And it was really just all structured to kind of ensure that by the time we rolled up to that first ceremony night, we were feeling prepared, we were educated and hopefully like less afraid or freaked out than when we first got there. So one of the things they taught us was when you drink ayahuasca, it is very common to experience the medicine as a spirit, like the spirit of the plant. And it's a feminine spirit. So like a mother or a grandmother, um, hence that you may hear people talk about mother ayahuasca or grandmother ayahuasca, because it is very common to feel like you have the sense of the consciousness or the energy of the medicine come across that way as a beautiful, like loving mother or grandmother. On Sunday, they told me, okay, you need to go down to the classroom. It's time for you to meet with Taitawanito for your consulta. So like I hurried down there and when I walked into the room where he was sitting with his translator, because he doesn't speak any English, I just was instantly struck by how sweet and unassuming he seemed. He just had this very like gentle, playful um, kindness about him. And I, I just felt very at ease right away. So his translator asked for that paper that I had filled out on the shuttle. And when I, when I handed it over, I could see his eyes just like widen, like, oh my God, look at all this shit this girl wrote down on here. And I had tucked the paper in my journal. And when I pulled it out to hand it over, I saw Taita staring like very intently at my journal. And the interpreter began reading my very lengthy list of intentions and hopes for the medicine. And I could, I was watching Taita and I could just see that his eyes were just fixated on my journal, which I'm just holding closed, like resting it in my lap. And it was almost like he wasn't even listening to what the translator was reading. He was just staring at my journal. And when it was time for him to respond, he said in Spanish that my soul had come there carrying a lot of grief and that it was time to heal and to let go of the trauma and that there was so much fear inside my heart and that we were going to work on healing that. And then he reached out his hand and pointed to the journal in my lap. And he said, when you leave here, you're going to write your story, but your writing is going to be full of love. There is going to be no more writing those sad words anymore. Like your writing is going to change and it's going to change to love. And I was just, I could barely speak. Like, how did he know all the sadness that that journal contained? And honestly, you guys, that was just the first of so many moments I would have that week that were indescribable and magical and unexplainable. So Monday finally came and we all got dressed and ready for ceremony for our first night of ceremony. They had, you know, explained to us, like typically people wear white to ceremony. So like I had this long white dress and put my hair in a braid. And again, most people were in white, but like you just kind of want to be comfortable in there. And, um, and we had been instructed to fast after lunch that day. 
So I think it was around six, like that night that we lined up outside the Maloka, which is the ceremonial hut where the ayahuasca ceremonies are held. And it's this beautiful outdoor ceremonial space. And, you know, they told us like, okay, basically everything's going to be over and done with by around 2 a.m. And you'll be back in your rooms and your beds at the end of the night. So once we came inside the Maloka there, it's like, three or four bathrooms maybe. And then they have it set up where there's all these mattresses. So everybody has their own mattress and there's like these big, beautiful blankets and, you know, pillowcases. So everything's like very comfortable and nice. And there's a bucket at the end of everybody's bed. So ayahuasca, it's a purgative. It's intended to make you vomit. Um, that's part of the healing process. Like you have to rid your body and your, um, you know, mind and energy of any shit that you've brought in like trauma, sadness, pain, disease, you name it. Like that's how the medicine clears all that stuff out. So you are supposed to purge when you drink ayahuasca. That being said, there are different ways you can purge. It's not always throwing up, although that's probably the most common. Um, you can do like deep sighing when you're on the medicine and, and you can yawn, you can cry, you can shake, sweat. I mean, laugh. It's like, there's a whole list of different ways that people can purge. So at the front of the Maloka is the area where the shamans sit and the musicians, cause they'll be playing live instruments during the night. And then there's various spots for the facilitators, um, that are there just for assistance or support if people need it during the night. So we were explained, this is how the ceremony is going to proceed. And everybody just kind of like gets settled into their beds and waits for the first call to come up and get served the first cup of medicine. I think we were told like at the beginning, like, look, there's going to be multiple calls through the night to come up and get an additional cup if you feel like you need it. Um, but you're welcome to drink as little or as much as you feel like you may need. And the kind of rule of thumb that they gave us was, if you can hear them calling out like that the second cup is being offered, you should try to go. So as we were waiting for that first call, I was sitting on my mattress and I wrote this little paragraph in my journal and I just wrote, I am safe. I am brave. I will use my breath. If it gets hard, I will surrender. I am ready. When I went up to take my first cup of medicine. I was nervous, but I really felt so safe and so prepared that I just let go mentally. And oh, that first cup of medicine, you guys, I'm not going to lie. It's the most vile and disgusting taste I've ever had in my life. It's like thick, brown, gritty, earthy, bitter, terrible. It's hard to get down. And it's just like a small, like a shot glass. So I took my first cup. I went back to my mattress. I laid down with my blanket and I just worked on my breathing. And I was looking out the beautiful, like open windows at the Costa Rican night and the stars in the sky and the palm trees outside. And I just tried to meditate for a little bit. And again, just like working with my breath. And it was probably about 30 or 40 minutes after I took the cup that I felt the medicine kind of start to kick in. And it started for me, like my hearing got super, super amplified. I could hear a pin drop. I could hear all the way over on the other side of the Maloka, 
someone breathe. It was the craziest thing how my senses just got super, super, super heightened. And I started feeling like relaxed and kind of floaty. And then I began feeling this sensation in my body. And it was at the very base of my spine. And it felt like an energy. It felt like an energy that was waking up and starting to move. And it was right down deep in the base of my spine. And as it started kind of awakening, I was sitting like crisscross applesauce on my mattress with my legs crossed and the blanket over my lap. And as I felt the energy start, I, I started like moving my hips really slowly. Like it wasn't even me moving. It was the energy of the medicine moving my body. And I started doing these like hip circles and kind of just like rolling from side to side very slowly. And I remember thinking to myself, oh my God, this is it. Here we go. It's happening. But I was also feeling this kind of floaty, dreamy mindset that was like, almost I was slipping away from my conscious grip on reality and slipping into like the effects of the medicine. But I was still aware, okay, like it's kicking in, this is starting to happen. And I'm doing these like hip rolls. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, this isn't so bad. Like, I'm just gonna go with it. I don't know what's happening. I'm not moving my own body. So I'm rolling kind of side to side, my hips are moving. And then I feel the energy start to come up my spine. And it's like, it would come up to my stomach area and I'm doing these hip circles there and I can feel the medicine and the energy just like rolling around and kind of like scanning and working in that area. But it was very gentle and relatively pleasant. So as it's kind of in my stomach and like moving its way upwards towards my chest, I had this thought for a second, like, like I said to the medicine, wow, you, you are gentle. And then as clear as day, the medicine said to me, well, you are brave. And then I just went deep. It was like the energy started getting a little bit faster and it started moving like a little more intently and it's going up my spine into my, to my heart space. And it's like in my back and the whole time I'm just kind of doing these, like, sure. I looked crazy if you looked at me, but everybody else in that Maloka was having their own process. So trust me, nobody was looking at me, but I'm, I'm doing these hip circles and I'm kind of like moving my body around. And I remember at one point my arms were like going up in the air and I was doing these like dramatic arm gestures. And I was thinking to myself, like, I am not doing this. Like, and it was funny. And I started giggling a little bit. And then I started laughing because I was just like, this is hilarious. But it was and then at one point, like one of the facilitators was like, had to come over and be like, Shh. and they were like, Taylor, like, please like be respectful of the noble silence, you know? So I, I had to try not to laugh, but it just seemed funny. And, and my arms are like moving around all over the place. And the girl who was on a mattress to my right, I guess she had started having like kind of a hard time and she was whimpering a little bit and kind of crying. And so the couple facilitators came over to sort of comfort her and my arms were just like flying around in the air. And I remember like bump, they were bumping into the, the facilitators that were next to me trying to help this poor girl. And I was just like, I'm sorry, I can't help it. Like I have no control here, but it was the only way I can describe it is it was like, 
okay, I know now looking back, I did not know at the time, but what I was experiencing was a, a Kundalini awakening. I was experiencing the awakening of the Kundalini energy that lies at the base of all of our, of our spine. And, you know, for most of it, it lays dormant and it can be dormant our entire lives, but it is like life energy and the medicine had activated it in me. And it was climbing up like through my chakras and it was going up, up, up my spine, like a ladder. And I would say it probably, if I had to guess, was maybe an hour um, that it went from the base of my spine all the way up through my heart, on my back. And the whole time, again, I was doing like these movements with my body. I was rolling my shoulders. I was like rolling my neck around. My arms are making these big circles in the air and I'm doing like all this movement with my body. And it had been pleasant. It wasn't scary. I was just like going with it. And it felt like it was healing and it felt like it was kind of scanning and checking and moving slowly. And, and it moved through my heart and then it got to my throat. And right away, I felt like my neck snapped back and I felt it gets stuck. I felt that energy that had been flowing so beautifully and warmly hit like an energetic wall at my throat center. And it just stopped. And it was like, it was like it hit a brick wall. I mean, the, it was startling to me when I felt the sensation of it hit that block of my throat and stop. And instantly I was feeling like I could feel with my physical body where I had this energetic block at my throat. And it was painful. I felt pain. I felt pain in my throat. I felt pain in that area. I felt pain from where like the, the energy or the medicine couldn't push past that spot. And I, I guess I yelled out or I'm not even really sure. I don't completely remember, but I know like a, the shaman and a couple people came over and they were trying to help me. And, and I said, what's happening? And I had my hands like up to my throat. And one of the female, um, facilitator said to me, your throat chakra is opening. And it felt crazy. It felt bad. It was like so intense. And I, I couldn't understand what was happening. And, and so they came over and they were like, they, you know, have these special oils that they put on you and help you calm down and like to help kind of like move the energy if it's, you're having a hard time. So it took me a while to sort of like get settled back down from that, that, experience of just feeling like, wow, what is that in my throat? Like, what is it that's there? That's such a block. And then right away, as I was thinking that to myself, the medicine started to show me what it was. And the medicine was showing me that the block in my throat was, was like a poison. And she said to me, I'm going to pull the poison out of you. And I threw up in the bucket and it wasn't even much. It was just like a quick throw up. And then right away, I, I, I pushed the bucket away and I, I was saying out loud, I can't, I can't even look at it. I don't even want to look at it because I could tell what was the poison was. And what the poison was, was every terrible thing that I had ever believed about myself or said about myself, but especially what I had believed and said about my own body. And it had created this like black, dark poison that had lived inside my physical body. And it's so crazy because that's what this medicine will do. Like it will show you what things like that 
do to our physical bodies, like how it can live inside of you. And some people can go their whole lives and never know that they hold that type of poison. And I just knew, oh, I have to get it out. I have to get it out of me. I don't want it anymore. So I struggled like, you know, the facilitators were so kind and they were over helping me and, you know, trying to encourage me and tell me like, you're here, you're, you're doing this hard work. This is healing for you. And I remember saying like grabbing the facility facilitator's hand and, and looking at her right in the eyes and just telling her, I'm a mother. I have a, I have a son and he's, he needs me. Like, don't let anything happen to me. And she grabbed my face with her hands and she got real close to my face and she looked me in the eyes and she said, your little boy is receiving a healing right now for the work that you're doing here. Like this benefits him. This is hard, hard work, but this healing that you're doing, he's going to be better because of it. And that gave me sort of like a renewed motivation to keep going. So much so, in fact, that when they called for the second cup, despite all of this that I had been going through, I went up and I got another cup and I went back to my mattress. And that second cup really helped just push me, propel me forward into the rest of my process, which was showing me quickly. And, and I was seeing these like flashes of all the times that I had felt disempowered and all the times that I had betrayed my true self and and all the times that I had believed that I wasn't worthy or good enough or not skinny enough or you name it I was shown it all that night and then I I would struggle with it and I would see how ugly that is and then I would purge it and I would release it from my body so it was close to the end of the night and I was really just physically exhausted I felt like I had fought a war and this beautiful facilitator, Willeska, she was over and she was helping me. And, and she said to me, you know, you can take your power back. You can take it back. It's that easy. And then right in front of my eyes, it was like the medicine showed me this, this outer space looking area and, and told me, reach into outer space, put your hand in and get your power and pull it back. And I could literally see like this red ball and it was my power. And, and I just like reached my hand in there and I grabbed it and I put it to my heart and I put it back in my body. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that was easy. Like I took my power back. I, I have it back. And then I was like, damn, I, I'm never giving that away again. Like that's mine. That belongs to me. And I will fiercely protect it for the rest of my life. I will never let anybody take my power from me again. And I'm thinking these things and Valeska leans into my ear and whispers into my ear, never, never again. It was like she was reading my mind. It was the craziest thing. I'll never forget that moment. After that, I just, I feel like I just kind of physically collapsed onto my mattress. I was exhausted. I felt like I had completed the process of that night and I was just tired. So it really was like probably around 2 a.m. that ceremony was over. And honestly, by that time, the medicine has worn off and I just felt ready to go back to my room and go to bed. And, and I remember I had promised my mom and my sister, like, I'll text you. I'll text you when I'm back in my room and let you know that I'm okay. And I remember getting back to my room and sending that text and just saying, oh, holy shit, I'm alive. Don't know where to begin. I lived. I'll text you again in the morning.
So the next morning, believe it or not, I woke up feeling pretty good, like well-rested and clear-headed. I mean, mentally I felt good, but physically my body was just beat. I mean, it felt ravaged. I was so sore. I felt like I had ran a marathon or something or been hit by a truck. That energy that had moved through me the night before had been so freaking intense. It was like I'd been struck by lightning. I mean, my whole body was just so sore. Every muscle, every joint, everything hurt. But mentally, I felt great and I was ready to keep going. I was a little bit worried about going back into ceremony the next night and just having like the physical stamina to get through it again because it had been so physically hard the night before that I was like, I don't know if my little body can handle this another night. So I just told myself, look, all I have to do is go. And even if I just have like one little sip of one little cup and that's all the medicine I drink all night, that's good enough. Like I don't have to try to do any more than that. So I spent that day like leading up to the second ceremony, just hanging out with some of the other guests and like talking with people. And we were sharing about our experiences the night before. And oh my God, the stories that you hear of like <laughs> the experiences people have or the visions that they have, it's wild and fascinating. And, you know, people had experienced some heavy stuff. So people were sharing and like helping each other process and, that's where the facilitators are great too. Cause like there's always a staff member around or nearby if somebody's having a really hard time or like struggling to process some things that came up for them. So there's just tons of support. But for me, I just made so many awesome friends and had so many incredible conversations where we would be like out near the pool and just talking and sharing about our experiences from the night before and helping each other process. So the way that it's structured when Taita's there is, you know, you have the four nights of ceremony, but the first two nights it's with like the staff shaman and the facilitators that work directly at Rhythmia. And then on the third and fourth nights, it's the night when Taita comes in and he leads the ceremonies. So there's this like big anticipation, obviously, for the Taita nights because one, they go longer. I mean, instead of getting done at like one or two in the morning, you go all night long and you wrap up like at sunrise. So everybody was kind of talking and like gearing up for like, oh my God, if, you know, last night was as crazy as it was, what's it going to be like when we have the Taita nights? But for the most part, I think collectively as a group, everybody was just really encouraging of each other. And we rolled up that second night into ceremony for night two, just kind of supporting each other and it was just a really good overall collective energy. Um, and everybody was so supportive. And by that time, like I'd made a couple friends and I knew where they were in the Maloka. So it was like, I'll check on you, you check on me. And it was just a lot of really good support. So fortunately for me, that second night and honestly the third night too, were both pretty mild for me. I kind of feel like the medicine was like giving me a break after that first night and letting me just kind of integrate and work with all that had come up for me during that first night. So the second night, I mean, all I did was sweat. I didn't throw up. I didn't have any visions. Nothing really happened except all night long. I was just like profusely sweating. And at one point, the only time during the whole night that I heard or like saw a vision of the medicine at all was when she said to me, I have to burn off all this fear inside of you. And so that's what this sweating is. So just lay there and let me do my work. And that's all you have to do tonight. 
and literally that was that I didn't hear from her again. I didn't have any visions, but I just sweat and sweat and sweat. And I knew like, damn, if that's what she's doing, burning off all this fear, there must be so much in me because it was just all night long. Then the third night was the first night of the tight of with Taita. So it was like, oh my gosh, you guys, people were lined up outside that Maloka two hours in advance to get like the best seat in the house in there. And the energy was just electric and everybody was so excited. I was still feeling like tired and my body was still kind of sore, but I was definitely excited and, and really ready. Like, okay, it's Taita. Like this is time to get in there and like, I'm going to drink a bunch of medicine. I'm going to do as much work as I can. I'm like, let's go. All right, I'm ready. And it's so crazy because, you know, sometimes we have these intentions or these plans and then the medicine just has other intentions, right? And those intentions are usually for our highest good. Sometimes we may think that we know what we need, but I'm telling you the medicine always knows what we need. And that third night I went, I took a cup of medicine. I went back to my mattress. I think I threw up once and then I fell asleep and I literally slept the entire night until the sun came up. Nothing, no dreams, no visions, absolutely nothing. And I woke up and the ceremony was over and everybody was like cleaning up. And I was like, what, what happened? What did I miss? And I was so upset. I think I was like almost in tears. Like I was mad at myself. Like, I can't believe you slept through through this whole thing. Like, what the hell is wrong with you? And Taita's translator came over and was talking to me. And he said, look, this is actually very normal. And sometimes when the medicine has to maybe go back into your past, or maybe has to do some like very, very deep work on your body, sometimes it's easier to just kind of like put you to sleep so that there's less resistance or less of a struggle and it can just do what it needs without you fighting it. And he said, this is actually like a really good thing and you should feel very honored because in these situations is when the medicine's able to go like very, 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 very far back and work on some things like in your ancestral lineage or even like things that you may not be aware of that have to be addressed or healed. So I was like a little bummed, but at the same time, I'm not going to lie. It was so nice to like have a good night's sleep in there and then not have a night of just like craziness. But I was feeling some FOMO because there was definitely some people in the Maloka that night who had some crazy experiences and even just like the musicians and the music and the whole experience of a Taita night, I felt like I missed it and I was bummed. So by the time the fourth night, the last night of ceremony rolled around, I was like, okay, hell no, this is not going to happen again. This is my last night. This is my chance to really get in there and like check off all those other things on that list I had made of like, we got to heal this. We got to address this. I need to work on this. And again, that's just like my stupid micromanaging way that is so ridiculous because that's not how this medicine works. The medicine heals you in the order of its priority not our priority. Like, yes, it's good to have intentions and have things you want, you know, you want to work on. But even that first night goes to show like the first thing that the medicine saw in me that needed to be healed was the way that I had talked to myself or looked at myself or all the poisonous words I'd said to myself in my life. And like, that was like the first thing that needed to be addressed. So I don't know. I think by night four, I just was like, this is my only shot. And then I got to go home. So like, we got to do it all. But Lord, did that night turn out different. So I think 
overall, that fourth night, I drank four cups of medicine. I mean, it was like I would take it and I would go back to my mattress and I would fight the nausea and then I would throw up a little bit and nothing was happening. And then I would go back up and get another one and repeat. And this was going on all night long. And then finally, after that fourth cup of medicine, I went back to my mattress and I laid down and I started thinking, I don't know, maybe this is just like a dead of a night and nothing's going to happen. And then I started becoming kind of acutely aware of having this sensation in my chest. It was like right inside my heart. And it felt like a big block. I don't know. It was like a terrible block. And I could literally feel like inside my heart space that there was something uncomfortable there. So I got up and I walked outside of the Maloka and I saw it like barefoot on the steps. And I was just looking out into the, you know, night sky and started crying. And I like this feeling I could sense as a physical feeling in my physical body, but it was so overwhelmingly sad. And I sat out there with tears streaming down my face, just thinking like, how have I been living with this in my heart? What is it? And one of these like beautiful angels of a facilitator came and sat down next to me just at the perfect time. And she asked me if I was okay. And I told her, I have this block in my heart. I can feel it. And it's making me so sad. And I don't know what it is. And I don't know how to get rid of it. And she talked to me for a little bit and she had like this feather and she was kind of feigning me with the feather. And she said, look, you are doing such a good job, my sister. And you've come here to do this healing and you can ask the medicine. You can ask the medicine what it is and you can ask her to help you heal it. So she talked to me for a little while and then she went back inside. So I thought about that and I started looking up at the moon and just kind of praying, praying to God, praying to the medicine, just like, I don't want to carry this in my heart for the rest of my life. Like, it's so sad and I don't know what it is, but I don't like it and I don't want it anymore. And I don't want to carry it in my heart anymore. So I was walking back to my mattress and I could hear Taita inside chanting. And he was chanting the Ikaros, which is like the songs that the shaman used to communicate to the medicine. And the Ikaros are meant to evoke different effects depending on what the person on the medicine is needing. So as I'm walking in and I'm hearing Taita chant these Ikaros and I'm hearing his chanting, I feel the medicine start moving the block in my heart. And right away I was like, oh my God, I need to purge. And I grabbed my bucket and I purged and I just like dry heaved. Like, sorry if that's TMI, but it was just this huge, intense dry heave. And when I did, the heart block came out and it went thump in the bottom of the bucket. Like there was nothing there, but I heard it. It sounded like a rock when it hit the bottom of the bucket. And I started feeling like the medicine began cleaning my heart space. And I, I laid down on my mattress and all of a sudden I had this vision and it looked like I was looking in a shadowy room, but it was, it was my heart. And, and I could see like the medicine was in there sweeping and the medicine said to me, I'm, I'm cleaning your heart. I'm cleaning in here. And to keep it this way, you have to forgive like Taylor, you cannot go the rest of your life without forgiving the people that you need to, or you're ne- you're going to have to carry this in your heart forever, but I will take it away and I will clean up in here. And if you want to keep it like this, 
just promise like you'll always you'll forgive that's the, that's all there is forgiveness and i could see it was like the sweeping and this dark room and the clearing and then all of a sudden my my heart space turned this like beautiful emerald green color it was the most beautiful green i've ever seen and she said your heart is clean and i'm going to give you a gift and she placed a little hummingbird inside my heart and i just was like i think i was talking out loud and i was like oh my god thank you like it was the most beautiful gift i had ever seen I, I, it was this delicate beautiful little hummingbird and she placed it right in my heart and she said this is yours forever and then I heard the music and I could hear the harmonica and I could hear the musicians playing and I just felt the most deep gratitude I'd ever felt in my entire life. I, I was just tears streaming down my face, feeling so grateful. And just like that ceremony was ending and people were getting up and I immediately went up to Taita and I, I said, Taita, I don't know, the medicine, the medicine gave me a new heart and she told me, she told me I have a hummingbird. I have a hummingbird in my heart. And he looked at me and he said, yes, you do. I, you have a hummingbird and it's your guardian. And it's a gift to you from spirit. And it's a messenger of your path. And if you stay on this path, the hummingbird is with you forever. And it will never leave you. So the rest of that day, I basically felt like I was just walking around in total bliss. I felt so light and so hopeful and so thankful and grateful and also just so my mind was blown by the experiences I had had in those ceremonies. And I just felt like, how do I get on a plane and go home now? What do I say when people are like, oh, so how was your yoga retreat in Costa Rica? And I'm like, you know, how am I ever going to describe to anybody adequately what this experience has been like? So at Arrhythmia, they teach that integration is 50% of this whole experience. You drink the medicine, but that's just 50%. Going home and doing the work and processing your experience and integrating the things that came up for you, that's the other 50%. And it is equally, if not more important than the act of just drinking the medicine itself. So when it was time to actually get on the plane and go home, I was really kind of like overwhelmed by just having to go back into reality and like, oh my God, go to work? <laughs> like, hello, do you know what I've been through out there in the jungle? And now I've got to go home and just act like everything's normal and have just like normal conversations with people? I was kind of worried. I wouldn't know how to do that. So I went home and I was really kind of grateful because Again, at the time, it was kind of like peak COVID time. So since I had been overseas, I had to quarantine for a little bit before I could you know, go back out in public. And I really was just very grateful for that because it gave me some time to just kind of like chill for a minute and be at home with Thomas and not have to be around people that, you know, I wasn't quite ready to be sharing my stories with. So that was really nice. And I appreciated having just like that downtime. Um, but, you know, the truth is, you guys, it doesn't just stop when you leave there. The work of this medicine path continues forever. And there are people who drink ayahuasca one time, and that's all they need for the rest of their lives. And maybe sometimes people drink it a few times. Maybe they drink it 400 times. Everybody is different. And I think my approach to it, I guess, is that when I feel that call in my heart, then I know it's time for me to go back. And I know that there's always more work to do, but at the same time, 
I have work to do here at home, work to do on myself. And the irony is that quote work really is just being gentle with myself and taking care of myself. And that means like the way that I eat and the things I put on my body and in my body and the people that I surround myself with. So I'm just so unbelievably grateful to the medicine and to Taitawanito and to Rhythmia for the gifts that I got during my week there, but also for the gifts that still continue to unfold two years later from those initial ceremonies. And I just wanna say today, like I am not advocating that everybody run out and go drink the medicine. I don't necessarily think it is for everybody. I know that for me, it was so instrumental as part of my path, my spiritual path for my own healing and healing from things in my past, for helping me forgive. I can assure you that Billy and I would not be in the place we are today if I wasn't given that opportunity to learn and experience in that way what true forgiveness is. Thank God for that. I'm so grateful. So on that note, I'm going to wrap today's episode up and end with just a short little quote. And I'm so happy that you've taken the time to listen to me tell this story today. And again, this is going to be my last solo episode for a while. I've got some awesome guests coming up, but thank you. Thank you for letting me tell the part of my story that is so sacred and so important to me. So in closing today, this is a quote from Graham Hancock, and he's also been to Rhythmia quite a few times, by the way. He says, there are all kinds of ways to challenge ourselves. Some people do it by climbing a mountain or scuba diving. The most profound and challenging ordeal is to drink ayahuasca. It is, in a way, the ultimate adventure. Thanks, you guys. I'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.